Hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the author of the book on product-led growth. And here I have Ramley, my co-host, and Jeff, who is the head of product marketing at Clearbit. And so we're really excited today to really just dive into how Jeff approaches product marketing, especially in a bunch of different kinds of companies. So he's also had experience working at Envision and also has a lot of experience with sales-led and product-led businesses and what you need to take into consideration when in each of those businesses. So for those that don't know you, Jeff, can you just share a little bit more about your story and how you became the head of product marketing at Clearbit? Sure. And thanks for having me. So um, Clearbit... I am head of product marketing there, and we are a hybrid model where we have self-serve products as well as sales team-driven products. Prior to that, uh, I was at Envision, and I joined there on the product marketing team, which is also a hybrid self-serve and sales-led company. But I was asked by the CMO to take over the revenue number for self-serve upgrades to make sure that it was trending upward. And as well, I had joined the company originally to kind of help out with general product marketing, as well as um, helping the sales team with their efforts. And I learned a lot at Envision, what it's like to kind of choose between the different levers, whether it's the sales-led lever or it's the credit card sales. Uh, Prior to that, I was with Reflect. They were acquired by Puppet at about when they were around 11 employees. They started out as uh, self-serve. They had a lot of dreams about just doing credit card sales only. And they found that given the nature of the product, it required kind of more negotiation and cross-department selling. And so they started to move into the sales direction towards the end. Before that was Linux. It's a customer data platform. And like many customer data platforms, they are sales-led. However, the team there really had a passion for self-serve and wanted to go in that direction. And so there were many experiments around self-serve. But ultimately, the nature of the difficulty of implementing the product, any CDP where you're adding a JavaScript tag to the side and you're integrating various marketing tools with different APIs and different reliability around those APIs, and there's different decision makers throughout marketing, product, et cetera, that you're selling to, it made sense to have a salesperson help with that that cross-selling. And before that was with Meridian. Meridian was acquired by HP, and we started out um, a self-serve consumer app. It was a, a mapping app you would use in various venues like museums and stadiums and so forth. And we ended up pivoting to enterprise sales led because we were finding that there was more requests from these venues, not to self-serve, but to have help building their own app. And so that was interesting to kind of go the other direction. But we ultimately came back to self-serve later on because one of our major partners, who was the Fortune 500 company, ironically, pushed us in the direction of self-serve because they believed that would help their customers get on board. Interesting. I mean, there's so many things there that I want to unpack right away. But before (laughs) I get into everything, can you just take a step back and tell everyone who's listening, like, what is Clearbit? And give us some context around that. Yeah. So Clearbit started about uh, five years ago. And our CEO had been an engineer at both Stripe and Twitter, Alex. And he wanted to be able to create a product to help businesses with business data. So we have a couple of flagship uh, products we've been selling for a while, such as Prospect and Enrichment, many SaaS startups, everybody ranging from Segment to AdRoll use uh, these products. And it could be the sales team that's using Enrichment to fill in extra information in Salesforce about a lead. And so instead of just being Jeff Hardison, it's Jeff Hardison at Clearbit, and they are venture funded and they're this size and so forth. If you're, say, a startup and you're just trying to prospect into new accounts, you can use Prospector for that. 
so we had these, these kind of building blocks, these data sources that were both API driven as well as integrations. And we found that some of our savvier customers were building growth engines on top of those data building blocks. And we came out with our new product called X, which is kind of like a mark tech workflow tool that a, a marketing team can use to be able to do more data-driven marketing with both this third-party business data as well as their own data in Salesforce or on their website. Awesome. And so one of the things you mentioned at the very beginning was owning the self-service revenue number as someone in product marketing. Like, how was that for you? What was that whole experience? Because that's something you don't hear too often for people owning that self-service revenue number. Yeah. Well, so I had worked previously with our CMO at a prior company. And so I think he knew, you know, once he addressed this was something that we kind of needed a tiger team around. He had enough experience working with me and I had worked in small startups where you kind of just roll up your sleeves and do anything, right? Whether it's owning the number or it's, you know, helping do customer success or what have you. And I think he knew I was up for it to help own that number and that he was going to have the, the revenue, the acquisition department focus more on just traffic to the site, top of funnel, as well as conversion to free signups, the beginning of the freemium life cycle, right? And so my responsibility was thinking through, how do we get those freemium signups to convert to paid upgrades before they move on to, say, like a salesperson upgrading them to the enterprise plan? It was fantastic in terms of experience because what I did was I got to look at all the historical data as well as the current data around what causes someone to first go to our site, right? You know, how do we get them in? Is it content that's not about our product? Is it content about our product? Is it ads? Is it events we've done? Was it discounting? Was it emails we were sending? You know, what were the levers that were working best to get people historically to visit the site? And then what led them to sign up for a free account? And then when they did convert from free to paid, what were the levers that often caused that? And then what often maybe caused them to not upgrade, right? And then I looked at, you know, at what point does the sales team often jump in? Do they jump in when someone just signs up for free? And they say, oh, wait, this is a great account. We think they'd be great for enterprise. And they leapfrog the whole freemium model. Or do they jump in later when there's a certain amount of kind of critical mass of users in a company that are using the products with credit card sales and that they could then upgrade them to, say, more of an enterprise model product? And so um, I really got to look at the data around for just one particular company kind of what works, what doesn't, and are there kind of forces at work that are greater than the self-serve model can overcome? Interesting. And so how do you really decide for companies? Like, should you have this completely self-service model or have sales kind of lead the whole sales process? So I really like the list of tidal waves that you have, that you've written about in a couple different places. You know, one being that, you know, product experiences are an essential part of the buying process. And it's not just the product experience is what makes us like the product, but it's also that the product experience needs to be good enough that we're going to want to upgrade it. It needs to do a lot of the selling. And I think that unless your company is dedicated to self-serve to product-like growth, it's unlikely you're going to be able to rally the troops, the product team, the engineering team executives, marketing, et cetera, to build a product that is, has a great enough experience that's going to do that conversion on its own. So I think most companies should start out with product-led growth, with this self-serve model. You know, second, you mentioned that buyers like to self-educate as well. 
And I think that unless you're doing product-led growth, it's unlikely you're going to take the time as a team to write all that documentation, to write all that help literature, to make the help videos, to really think about in-app messaging to lead somebody along, right? You're probably going to skip that step and go work on something else. It's not always the case. I think one of the keys here is not to generalize, but leading with product-led growth, you're probably going to think about those things sooner or later. And then third, you know, you made that point about startups are more expensive to grow these days. And that's, let's say I'm trying to drive to a hand raiser for a demo request for the sales team. That can get very expensive in terms of trade shows and webinars and white papers I'm trying to create and so forth. And that if you can have the product do a lot of the selling, then you can be able to minimize that spend. Now, the caveat here is that if you look at a lot of these these successful product-led growth companies, you really look at the books, they're spending a lot of money on advertising. I talked to hundreds of unicorn, you know, and under startup execs as part of my job. And a lot of them are spending a tremendous amount on advertising. So that's the dirty little secret in product-led growth is that at some point you probably will throw ads at this. I think two other things that are important about product-led growth or three other things would be when you lead with product-led growth, it inspires your product engineering design team to take real ownership of revenue. And a sales-driven culture, oftentimes the product and design and engineering team maybe can take a back seat to thinking about revenue, right? They'll measure themselves on other types of metrics and the sales team is really pushing on it and they're bringing back feedback in terms of what's going to help grow revenue. But when you don't have a sales team to bring back that information, you have to own that as a product team, right? And so you start to get more disciplined about looking at in-app usage data. You know, where are people falling off in the onboarding process? Why aren't they signing up once they've the site? Why are they churning after a year and not you know, renewing with their credit card payment. You really have to look at that data because there's no one else to start thinking about that. There's no other sales team or department that's going to think about that. So I think it makes you more disciplined as a company to be data-driven. And then third, you know, every sales team within a product-led growth company that comes later, they will tell you that the leads that come from product-led growth, those freemium leads, are sometimes the best leads to upsell into enterprise plans. It's really hard to go from cold lead to sold versus they've been in freemium, they did some credit card upgrades, and then you say, hey, would you like to have these extra features that are only part of our enterprise plan? So I would say those are kind of the main reasons, right? And these are many things that you already know about. The thing that I want to caution people against, and I'm going to share my screen real quick here. Can you see this? Yep, go for it. Okay, so almost every single product-led growth company, many famous ones that have gone public recently, they're touted as PLG. Almost all of them have added a sales team at some point. One of the reasons is this, is that if you look at the self-serve revenue of many companies, there hits a point, maybe it's 20 million, maybe it's 30 million, maybe it's 10 million, where that self-serve revenue for some reason starts to plateau. And it might be that there's just only so much money you can make off of credit card sales. And then if you want to make more money from a company, Maybe you have to get purchasing involved and purchasing might not want to be able to or be able to pay with a credit card. They might have to work with a salesperson to pay in another way, right? Or maybe you've sold to one type of job title in a company, one type of persona, but now you want to sell to other types of job titles who don't necessarily like to self-serve. Maybe they like you know, to have their hands held. Maybe they're purchasing departments. Maybe they're legal, what have you. 
So at some point, a lot of times the self-serve revenue plateaus and you can beat your head against the wall with it, or you can include another lever and that as a sales team. And this, this has happened for a lot of PLG companies is that at some point, maybe it's 20 million, the sales team is brought on, that company has taken investment from investors. The VCs are like, won't you just hire a sales team? You know, you've got other execs saying in past companies, we hired a sales team, why aren't we doing this? You can resist it if you want and see if you can, you know, figure a way out. But a lot of companies add that sales team and they find that while the self-serve revenue starts to go kind of like this, flatten out or goes down, the enterprise revenue starts to go up because that sales team is able to say with the freemium model, go consolidate. They could go to legal. They could go to purchasing and say, hey, there's all these rogue accounts out there, credit cards and so forth. Wouldn't you like to consolidate? Or you have all of your IP that's in various parts throughout the company. Wouldn't you like to consolidate so you have a better view of all of that? Or we have these extra kind of security offerings that only our enterprise plan has. And so they're able to really sell bigger deals with it. What's more, a lot of times these salespeople have a vested interest commission in order to sell these bigger deals that require lots of wrangling of different decision makers, the marketing department, the product department, legal, and so forth. So I would say that you're probably going to want at some point to at least consider it. You don't have to do it. There are some edge cases, but you want to consider it. I'm really curious when you think the company should start with uh, you know, introducing sales into the organization. Uh, you talked about like raising a certain amount of money. Is that it? Is that like when the VCs start pressuring you or should companies be more practically asking themselves, like, should we start introducing sales into the organization when you start off with self-serve? So I think there's a couple ways to address that one. And, and let's take when you form the company. I think you have to be really self-aware as a founder, when you're just like a couple employees about what kind of product are you selling and what your talents are in terms of making that product led. And then what's the buyer going to be like? So I made this kind of graphic here to show you like on one axis, you've got difficulty to implement the product, which can be improved with all kinds of product led growth initiatives, right? Versus another axis is the DIY tech savviness of the buyer. And I took some different products I've worked on throughout my work history. Let's take like a workflow tool, like a prototyping tool, like with Envision. The DIY tech savviness could range. You know, you could have a designer that is really good at, you know, implementing something on their own and, you know, be fine. You might have a marketer, though, that wants to do some wireframing that isn't that savvy and they want their handheld, right? So it can be somewhere in low end of need for tech savviness versus the medium end. But let's take something like an SDK, Okay, like a mapping SDK, the DIY tech savviness of the buyer to really do custom, you know, work with that SDK is going to need to be pretty high. And the difficulty to implement is a little bit, you know, greater than medium, right? Or let's take something like MarTech, like a customer data platform. A customer data platform, like if it's an email service provider tool, like, you know, say like Campaign Monitor, pretty easy to implement, right? I can do that self-serve all day. But what if it's something where you're tracking web behavior and you need to add the tag to the site, right? That's a little bit harder for a marketer to get started on. And then some marketers are very savvy about it. I've worked with some marketers that, yeah, I just added that in an hour. Others like, I don't understand what you're even asking of me, right? Location-based app. You know, when we launched Meridian, we thought that venues, museums, stadiums, et cetera, were just going to be able to manually add their own maps to the app and then use our WYSIWYG editor to build this app. Turned out it was harder than we thought, right? And so we had to kind of get in there and help them with it. So I think the key is to kind of think through like, how hard will it be to implement this? 
are we capable, do we have the work ethic and the skills to make this easier to implement, whether it's doing app messaging, lots of documentation, videos, all that. And then second, get really clear about your buyer. Is the buyer going to be tech savvy in general or there be only edge cases where they're tech savvy? And how do you really set that expectation up? So I'll give you a little bit of context. So I was talking to the CPO at grow.com and I love his spaghetti analogy because it's essentially a lot of companies, whenever they're promising people things, they will say, we have hot, ready spaghetti. And that's what they're promising people. But then let's say they sign up for your SaaS app and now they figure out, oh, whenever they sit down for their spaghetti, the waiter goes and shows them the kitchen. They're like, here, here's the ingredients. You got to you know, mix it all together and then you can get your spaghetti. So there's like this big gap in what people expect versus what they get. Mm-hmm. And so with product marketing, like how do you really help people understand what they're getting into? Like if it's an SDK, I'm with you. I don't understand even where to start. But if it's an email tool, I can totally do that. Self-service. Right. Are you saying, how do we help a startup founder or how would I help a customer? Uh, Yeah, potential buyer. Just understand the expectation around how difficult it will be to implement. If I'm using product-led growth, if I were doing, let's say, let's just take like MarTech with a JS tag, okay? Nearly all of the customer data platforms, and I think there's like 200 of them, have a sales team. The one that has been successful without a huge sales team to start was Segment. Right. And segment is kind of the famous example that a lot of, you know, engineering departments in these customer data platforms look up to. They're like, well, segment can do it. Why can't we do it? Well, segment, they really opted to focus on more technically savvy customers to start and developers to start. Whereas a lot of these other CDPs out there focused on more of the kind of lay person level, you know, kind of marketing person. Could be somebody who runs email campaigns, ad campaigns, et cetera, that might not have the tech savviness to add the JS tag to the site. So I think what Segment did that was really smart was that they focused. So I think if you're going to do product-led growth and not have a sales team, you can't be an unfocused company. You can't just say like, we're going to go after everybody and tell the investors that story. You're going to need to really say like, we're only going to try to go after either early adopter DIY type, technically savvy like growth markers and or software developers who may be using this in product. Right? And so for those folks, I think you can just be very upfront and have more of a technical sale on your site, technical value propositions and kind of start to um, segment people out of your product and say like, Hey, you're really going to need to be able to, you know, add this JS tag to your site. And here's the developer documentation around it. And don't oversell to try to get people to sign up that aren't technically savvy enough. And I think it's really interesting to just look at any product. And if you really can make it easier for someone to implement you can also grow your total addressable market because it is just the barrier for people to even get in and see value is so much lower. And so I think if you look at any disruptive company, there really are growing that total addressable market. I remember there was this another podcast interview with Shopify CEO, and that was exactly what they did. They didn't invest in this company, one investor, because they're like, the total addressable market is way too small, but they didn't realize that a company like Shopify was just making it easier for so many people to actually sell online. So I think it's so interesting what you just mentioned about understanding how difficult is it to implement your product because it really has such a big impact on your business, who you're going to go after, 
potential customers and so many of those things. And so I'm really curious. So how do you go about making your products easier for people to implement? I think some products are harder to make easy to implement than others. And I think that's where that self-awareness comes in, right? So there are just some products that there's going to be more inherent friction in deploying it. So for example, I don't know if I can make it much easier to add Wi-Fi access points to a building and test all that to see if they're working well. Like I've seen extremely talented networking engineers working for large venues have challenged this and need to bring in a specialist to figure it out, right? And so for that, it's going to be really tough to like ever avoid, you know, Cisco and Aruba and all of them. It'll be very difficult for those companies to ever avoid having sales engineers and, and salespeople and solution experts and so forth. However, let's take something like MarTech. Well, one thing you can do is in order to first get traction is not to have an offering that requires anything difficult, right? So you can focus. It's back to the whole notion of focus. And so maybe like instead of starting with adding with a product that requires adding a JavaScript tag to the site, maybe you start with some type of simple workflow tool like sending emails or, you know, easier implementation of Facebook ads, something like that. But it doesn't take into account any behavioral data from the website, right? And I'm starting to get into the weeds about all these different products, I realize, but I think it's easier to kind of give specific examples. And then later, add on something like that requires someone to add the JS tag to their site. But maybe instead of requiring them to add the JS tag to the site, you go get a partnership with Google Tag Manager where your JS tag is already built inherently into Google Tag Manager and it's just touch a button and it goes into under site, right? So I think you have to just kind of really think through, you know, is our vision of conquering the world and being all things to all people, is that too far reaching for product-led growth today? And can we evolve into that? And the challenge with this is that it oftentimes runs counter to what investors want from you, right? Investors want to know that you will quickly, oftentimes, be all things to all people and capture different segments of the market. And I, I think there's a trend moving in the direction of if you want to do true product-led growth, you've got to start small and offer things to your customers that don't require a lot of technical savviness to implement. And if they do require technical savviness to implement, you're going to need to work really hard, you know, nights and weekends probably, in addition to your full-time job on writing documentation, on thinking through onboarding tools, you know, help videos, and so forth. I think it's it's a great point you mentioned there, just about if you want to be product-led, you got to keep it stupid simple versus being everything to everyone. And I think if you look at a lot of product-led companies that are doing really well, most of them started off being point solutions. Yes. They owned that particular product, got really good at that whole experience, and then they eventually expanded to other things. But, well, I mean, some didn't. <laughs> They're still doing really well. Yes. So... I think it's a great thing for people just to have that focus, which is really, from a founder's perspective, can be really hard to do. And so the notion in onboarding, everyone knows it shouldn't be one size fits all. Now, a lot of companies still treat onboarding as as one size fits all kind of means. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts around how do you craft an experience that is not one size fits all and really accommodates you know, maybe that person who's not that tech savvy that might need that extra helping hands versus, you know, that person who is maybe an engineer. They just want to go in there, see it for themselves, test it out. So how do you craft an experience that caters 
to both sides of that spectrum. You know, um, for decades, companies have preached the importance of user research, talking to your customers, interviewing them about how they like to onboard, how they like to be trained. But it was one thing that a lot of companies slacked at for a long time. And what's interesting is I think it's partially, you know, maybe today's startup employees are more into improving upon a lot of these concepts. And it also might be product like growth that is leading to us really embracing user research. If you're a product like growth company, you might not have salespeople talking to customers, but you as executives, founders, marketers, engineers need to be talking to customers and interviewing them at scale about, hey, how do you like to onboard to a new product? Do you like to read documentation? Do you like to watch videos? Do you like to talk to somebody? And really collect all that data to get a sense for what is your chief personas and, and what's their learning style? Even in product-led growth companies, I've seen a lot of companies that they don't do user research just to assume because how they are. They'll say, well, me, you know, me as a designer, I like to read documentation. Well, that doesn't mean this other designer likes to read documentation. They might like to watch videos. You know, or they might like to talk to a customer success rep, right? And without that user research, you will never have the data to tell you how to really improve your onboarding. So whenever it comes to your customer success, how do they really determine, like, when should they reach out to specific people? Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to the type of company it is, again, right? And so let's say if it's a simple workflow tool, like some type of messaging internally, the company, you know, we know some of these companies out there. With that, you might be able to avoid having a customer success team for a while, right? Because it's pretty easy to download or sign up for one of those products and just use it. And then it will kind of spread, you know, naturally. But if it's something like a, you know, MarTech tool that's requiring the JS tag, you really need to look at the data and don't assume and say, where are we seeing that people are falling off? Well, we're noticing that they sign up for a product and they are going to the section of our site that allows them to add the JS tag, but they're not converting. The tag's not getting implemented. We're seeing that we're not collecting data. So something is breaking down here. Either we need to do some type of help tools within product. Maybe it's a video that teaches you how to add a JS tag. Complement that with you know, some type of written documentation for the readers out there. Or let's get on the phone and talk to these folks and find out like, what's really going on. And so I think that's what happened with a lot of MarTech companies is they found that the buyer was not very technically savvy. They weren't the web developer on the team and the web developer was too busy to help them. And so they actually had to create customer success teams to help people add that JS tag, right? And so I think at some point, once you've collected the data, you have to make the decision. Are we going to have to really just create that customer success team in order to help get our customer success? Or can we hack around it by adding documentation, videos, and other types of training materials? Interesting. And so I'm curious, you've been at this for a while now. What is one thing you wish you knew looking back at all the years when it comes to building that self-service model and learning how to turn those users into paying customers? Like, What's something you wish you knew that might even seem obvious to you now, but you didn't know it when you started out? You know, I did not predict that self-serve would go as well as it has. Right. And so it really required me to join a company where self serve worked for me to see how well it can perform and to trust that your colleagues, your teammates will actually build experience that's easy to use, 
they will really put their whole hearts and passion into helping the customers get success on their own, right? With documentation and videos and all of that. They will look at the data and be disciplined to do that to really improve the product, right? And not sunset things people like and so forth. It required really kind of living in a self-serve successful organization to see that. And so I guess if I would have just had the, the foresight to know that, right? And then I think that a lot of people that are still cynical about self-serve product-like growth, it's because they've never been in an organization where it works, right? And I think on the flip side, those people who really think things are sales-driven, I think there's something for us in, that believe in product-like growth to learn from them. And that is that not all companies are created equal and that at some point in your, your evolution as a company and as you grow, you might have to hire a sales team either to you know, close the bigger deals, to retain customers, or to you know, get them to success. I'm curious about the other way around. You know, a lot of companies are introducing more self-serve. Um, and what are you suggesting for a company that's probably more sales-driven? They grew through sales. And now they're trying, they want to introduce a self-serve. What would be your advice to that company or to that team? Yeah, this is a hard question. My worry, I think that most companies should start out as self-serve product-led growth, right? Because what it does is it trains you and disciplines you in ways that starting with the sales team well, right? You're going to look at the data inherently. You're going to find out ways to make the product do the selling. You're going to add all those training and documentation that a lot of companies put on the back burner, right? And keep it up to date. And so if you don't have that muscle trained from the very beginning, it's very difficult to later, you know, learn how to exercise it and build it. That said, if you are a company that's been around, say, 20 years, and you've always relied on a sales team, and you've really taken in the religion of product-like growth, and you want to try it, what I would probably recommend that you do is don't wholesale change your entire process and just add credit card sales and like jettison your sales team. What I would do is probably take a new product. Maybe it's through an acquisition or it's a new tiger team that is completely dedicated to for that new product to be self-serve. And there are some companies that, that have done this, some older software companies have done this, where they've taken a product that maybe it's for going to be for software developers. Maybe they've traditionally sold to IT and now they're going to sell an SDK to software developers. They make that product credit card driven, self-serve, and they have a whole tiger team that hopefully has experience. Maybe they've joined from other companies with product like growth where they can be completely focused on making that one product, product-led and self-serve oriented, and then show that success story to the rest of the company, right? And Because a lot of companies that have been around a while, they need to see somebody else, another department, be successful before they're really going to take that risk. Absolutely. And I think there's so many great examples of that. Whenever you mention that, I think of like HubSpot as being one of the most noteworthy ones with the HubSpot sales they launched that freemium and then they got to see the success and applied to other areas of the business. So I think that if you are a bigger company, what you just recommended is really smart because you don't have to make this huge launch all at once. And one other thing I've seen other companies do, which any company listening can apply super easily. And it's just A-B testing tools. Like If you want to try product-led growth out, you don't have to change your whole website and launch this all one day and be product-led. You could literally show whether it's a free trial or a freemium model and test it out on like 1% of your website visitors and just see how it goes that way. You don't have to build a massive team right away. You can sort of test it out on a small sample of people 
get your hands dirty, see how it works, see how you can improve, and then start going from maybe one to two percent to three percent and building that team over a longer period of time. So I don't think that it has to be cold turkey or product led. <laughs> like you said, don't have to jettison the sales team yeah. in uh, day one of product led growth. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you. And that would be something if you're going to go, any company right now should steal the playbook from product led growth companies by testing more. Right. And that's what's gotten us in trouble historically as an industry is that we just make a decision. Like it's just highest paid person in the room or whatever says, we're going to have a sales team or we're going to be product led, right? And you can, like you said, just test something. Let's just say like, let's do half the visitors to the site, get a requested demo, talk to a salesperson. The other half gets the freemium model and then check the data and see which one wins up, right? And I guess on that note too, like how has your testing process evolved over the years to really make sure that you're always testing and really learning from your customers? Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean... I've always tested just because I liked science, but a lot of times, maybe other forces in the company forced you to just kind of listen to someone's gut instinct or what have you. And it's not so much I've evolved as much as I've been fortunate that companies I've worked for, you know, over time, the industry has evolved to require more testing. So I'd say even like 10 years ago, a lot of software companies weren't doing much testing. They were just making kind of gut decisions. You know, should we launch this feature? Should we not? You know, we talked to two customers and those two anecdotes is why we're going to build this feature. And what's been interesting, I'd say like product-led growth has helped with this. Because so many companies are product-led driven and they require testing in order to make decisions because they're not just using some salesperson's anecdotes. In general, the industry has gotten more testing oriented. Envision's marketing department was one of the best I've seen. Like you could not standardize on anything, whether it was a change to the pricing page whether it was an email send or what have you, unless you tested it and compared it against a holdout group. And if there weren't conversions downstream to say like a paid upgrade, you couldn't standardize on that email campaign or that ad or that change to the website. It had to make money for us to be able to do that. And it required a lot of work, right? Because there's a lot of different tests you're running. And it's a lot easier just to run one thing and standardize on it. And it required working with the data team and it required us getting better at looking at the data tools, you know, whether it's like mode or you know, amplitude or what have you. Awesome. And so before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to mention, whether it's about product-led growth, some of the pros and cons of sales versus product-led growth or anything else? Yeah, I would just say that in general, every company should try to start with product-led growth for all the reasons we outlined. However, there might come a point because of the buyer you're selling to because your self-serve credit card revenue is flattening out or decreasing, that you might have to hire a sales team. And just make sure that you do that with a lot of thought and a lot of self-awareness about whether you're capable of managing a sales team and at what point. And I think that's the art of all of this, right? There's no like one playbook for everybody. I kind of liken it to if your doctor came to you and said, you know, Jeff, I need you to lose weight. Well, I could do the thing that's probably more progressive and that's just exercise more and then not like shame myself for the kind of foods I'm eating, right? Or if I don't like exercising, I could take, you know, I could just starve myself or eat less and maybe lose weight. I see like product-led growth is kind of like the exercise approach, right? Whereas like the sales team is kind of like the, you know, the dieting approach. And that really at some point you're probably going to do both, 
right? And at different points in your life, you'll try different things. And not to really feel bad about taking one path, but just to be open-minded to both and that, you know, different companies are different. I love that approach and a nice analogy of framing it because <laughs> you, you need both things to really make it work. You need both things. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And so Jeff, where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, JS Hardison, also on LinkedIn, probably one of the few Jeff Hardisons at Clearbit. And uh, you know, those are probably the best places. Feel free to reach out and connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on the podcast. This has been a blast chatting with you. And if anyone wants to learn more about Jeff, make sure to check him out on LinkedIn. And thanks again. Thank you. Great talking to you all. All right. Bye.